morning. Uh, J.D. will be back with us in a couple weeks, and he'll be sharing about his ministry in Spain, so we look forward to that. I think March 26th, right? Great. So that's exciting. I wanna, before I start, I want to remind you guys uh, where we are in the Bible. We're in Romans. Uh, what? We, we are in the Bible. But uh, we're in Romans 3. This section is 3, uh, I mean, sorry, 1. I'm getting ahead of myself. 118 to 320. This section is really two purposes we talked about. One is to uh, equip us, help us to fight against the sin that so easily besets us, as, as Paul describes, the sinful condition of our world. And the other is to help us see our need for the gospel. But he's taken this whole almost three chapters worth, 74 verses, to show us our need. So there's not that much gospel. So we're going to have to bring out, there's little lights of the gospel as we go through. But mostly the passage is a little depressing. It's a little uh, uh, helping us to see our need for the gospel. So I just want you to remember that and remind you that chapter 3, verse 21 is coming someday in the future. Okay. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about uh, exchanging, making exchanges. One of the most famous trades or exchanges in sports history took place in 1920. The Boston Red Sox owner, a man named Harry Freeze, he needed some cash because he wanted to uh, put on a musical. He wanted to finance a musical called No, No, Nanette. That's awesome. So he sold... Uh, uh, who was at the time certainly baseball's greatest player, Babe Ruth. He sold Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees for $100,000 plus a $300,000 loan. So $400,000, but he had to pay $300 back. So really $100,000. Now, how did that exchange work out? Well, pretty well for the Yankees. Uh, Babe Ruth hit 665 uh, of his 714 career home runs while he played for the Yankees. He led the Yankees to seven World Series appearances and four titles. He was key in helping to birth what many consider the greatest sports dynasty in the history of professional sports. But for the Red Sox, uh, the exchange had a different impact. In 1918, the Red Sox had won their fifth World, uh, World Series behind Ruth. But after the exchange... They didn't win another until 2004. For the Red Sox fans, selling Babe Ruth for $100,000 was clearly a foolish exchange. But compared to the exchange we'll look at today, it was brilliant. It was nothing. It was meaningless. What we'll see is without a doubt the worst trade in human history. But before we get to this incredibly foolish exchange found in Romans chapter 3, I mean, I don't know why, I really want to get to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we need some context. I want us to see how this exchange comes about and what it leads to. And so we need to back up, we need to quickly review what we've seen over the last two weeks in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. Romans 1.18 begins with these hopeful words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. 
Now, even though Paul begins this section uh, with the wrath of God, this isn't. Uh, this is really the end result. This is what we're moving towards. He's not going in chronological order. Next week, when we get to verse twenty-four, we'll begin to see this revelation of God's wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So Paul introduces God's wrath in verse eighteen, and before he reveals God's wrath, before he starts talking about what. God's wrath will be, in verse 24, he gives us what I'm calling seven steps leading to God's wrath. Last week, in verses 18 to 21, we looked at the first six steps. I didn't line them out as steps, but we touched on them. And today, verses 22-23, we'll see the seventh step. So let's list these out. Let's walk through these in chronological order. First, first thing that happens is God reveals himself. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that He is, in the things that have been made. Through His creation, God reveals His eternal power, His divine nature. This, uh, this is called natural revelation. So, God reveals Himself. And second, they see God's revelation. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them so they are without excuse. They clearly see God's eternal power and divine nature and therefore no excuse. In fact, third, Paul says, they know there is a God. For although they knew God, they know in their hearts, with their minds, based on creation, that there is an eternally powerful Creator God. However, fourth, they do not respond properly to God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. How should someone respond to an eternally powerful Creator God with honor, with glory, with giving thanks? But that's not what they did. Instead, fifth, they suppressed the truth about God. Who by their unrighteousness suppressed the truth. They they know there is a God, but they don't want to glorify Him. They don't want Him as their God. So they reject Him. They make a moral decision to suppress the truth about who God is. And therefore, they suffer the consequences. Six, they are corrupted. But, they're, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. Their hearts and minds are corrupted by their willful, willful suppression of the truth. They no longer think or feel the way they should, the way they were created to. And that leads to the seventh and final step, uh, really preceding the wrath of God being revealed. Seven, they make the foolish exchange. The foolish exchange. After suppressing the truth, once their minds and their hearts are corrupted, in Romans 1, 22 and 23 we read, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They become fools. That word fools is is the Greek word moreno. Can anyone guess what English word we get from that? Moron. Sorry. The word literally means uh, to lose savor or taste. It's used of salt that it's lost its strength and its flavor. And when, and when used to talk about people, it means they've lost it. 
They're not all there anymore. Therefore, they believe and they act upon absurdities. And so this morning, as we examine this foolish exchange, let's not forget who they are. Let's not forget that, that, that we too are prone to make this foolish exchange. We are prone to believe and act upon absurdities. As my friend uh, Joe Ramirez, some of you guys know Joe, he often says, I am that idiot. We are prone to do foolish, moronic things. But it's my prayer that by looking at God's Word and allowing His Spirit to speak to our hearts, that we'll be warned against and, and equipped to avoid this foolish exchange. That we, we would be people who fight against this exchange in our own lives and, and who can be used to help others do the same. So let's begin by looking at exactly what is being exchanged. Let's define what's being exchanged. There are at least two parts in any exchange. Uh, when we lived in Thailand, we often were exchanging American dollars for Thai baht, looking for a favorable exchange rate, not trying to be foolish. The foolish exchange is, is no different. There are two parts in this exchange. And the first part is God's glory. God's glory. Verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God. Notice, they exchange not just belief about God, but they specifically exchange the glory of the immortal or incorruptible, imperishable, eternal God. Now what is the glory of God? The word glory has the idea of value and splendor and majesty. It's, it's, it's the majesty of God. Therefore, the glory of anything. The glory of anything is its value, its splendor, its majesty. Maybe a, a modern translation, we could think of it this way. It would be awesomeness. And because God is immortal, because God is infinite, the glory of God is, is really His infinite value. His infinite splendor and, and majesty. His infinite awesomeness. And the Word of God teaches that, that we, if we open our eyes, we can see the glory of God all around us. David wrote, Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The angels declare in the book of Isaiah, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The heavens, the sky, the whole earth declares the glory, the awesomeness of God. Now at Bridges, uh, we talk a lot, I think, I hope, about the glory of God. About God's glory. The first and, and, and most important of our core values. If you don't know this, we have seven core values. I'm not going to list them. The first is bringing glory to God. Bringing glory to God means we, as a people, seek by what we say and by what we do to declare, to show forth the infinite awesomeness of God. We sing of His amazing attributes. We tell people of His greatness, who He is, what He's done in our lives, what He's done for the, the world. Also, our lives are meant to reflect that He is of great value to us. That God is glorious. We live and we sacrifice and we obey for His purposes. For His glory. When a missionary gives up a, a comfortable life in their own culture and in obedience goes to another culture to represent Jesus Christ, 
Their sacrifice, their willingness to live for God's purposes shows how important He is to them. How important He is to the world. It brings God glory. When you, at your place of work, are looked at differently because you're refusing to participate in the the water cooler gossip session. When you obey God rather than please men, you show who you serve. You show what matters to you. And you bring glory to God. When we do these things and and other things, we're saying that we believe God, the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe, deserves all honor and glory. That He is more valuable than anything else. That He must be exalted, lifted up above all things. We believe Isaiah 43.7 where God says, Everyone who is called by My name, whom I created for My glory, whom I formed and made. We believe that the purpose of creation, that the purpose of our very existence is to glorify God. To declare, to show forth His infinite awesomeness to the world. And so, and so get the weight of what Paul is saying. Get the absolute, complete, utter, ridiculous foolishness of this exchange. Get that what is being exchanged is of infinite value, of, is of infinite worth, infinitely awesome. Get that what is being exchanged is the very purpose. They're exchanging the purpose that they were created for. They were exchanging the purpose for their very existence. Get that they and we at some t- sometimes are exchanging God's often awesome, infinite glory for what? For images. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things. Now notice how, how foolish this is. God has made us for His glory. He's given us purpose to bring Him glory, to glorify God. The fact that they can exchange His glory means that He has given them, He has given humanity access to His glory. Uh, The glory of the immortal, incorruptible God. We can see it. We can feel it. We know it's real from His creation. And what do do they do for it? What What do they exchange it for? Notice, not for birds and animals and creeping things. Not for mortal, corruptible, and perishable men who come and go, fade away. Now, it would be foolish enough if they exchanged the glory of God for living, breathing animals and men. At least, at least these things are things that God created. At least uh, we could say that they reflect the glory of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Humanity was created in the image of God. We were created to reflect and, and bring glory to God. But nothing God created in the universe, not the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the planets, which all have been gods in various cultures at various times, not the earth, not the creatures upon it, Not even human beings compare to God. He is Creator. Everything else is creation. He is the potter. Everything else is the clay. And it would be utter foolishness to exchange the glory of the Creator for anything He has created. 
It would be like going up to a, a piece of artwork. Let me do that right now. Without knocking over the piece of artwork. It would be like going over to... A, I'm going to knock over the piece of artwork. It would be like going over to a piece of artwork and saying, Man, you are awesome. You are a great piece of art. You're beautiful. You're amazing. How, how, how the lines are, are so fantabulous. That would be... That would be, that's what it's like. Instead of going to the painter, who in this case happens to be uh, Emily Hall, who's feeling sick today, remember to pray for Emily, and saying to the painter, uh, man, your painting, it's awesome, it's amazing. I'm so impressed with your, your talent. Wish I could paint like you. So do you see the foolishness of, of glorifying a piece of artwork instead of the artist? But notice Paul says, they exchange the glory of God for images. It's even worse than that. The word images in the Greek means a representation or a likeness. It's not even the real thing. It would be foolish to honor the painting instead of the artist, but it would be utter complete foolishness for me to to sit down and make a sketch of this artwork and then honor my sketch. But that's what they do. Humanity throughout history has exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the poet, the glory of the artist, not even for his art, not even for creation, but for sketches we make of his art, for carved or or painted images, things that resemble things that God created. In Deuteronomy, Moses describes these images this way, they are gods of wood and stone, the, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat, nor smell. In their foolishness, they exchange the glory of the immortal God. They exchange the purpose of their creation and the purpose for their existence for what? For things they call gods, made of wood and stone, the work of their own hands. Things that neither smell, nor hear, nor eat. There's nothing in all human history more foolish than this exchange. So let's see uh, what results from the foolish exchange. Now sometimes the word foolish can be used of a minor mistake. We think, oh, that was, that was foolish. With little or no consequences. Like the other day when I foolishly said to my wife, who turns 53 in just a few days, I said in jest, of course, I can't believe I'm married to such an old woman. Now, now that was definitely foolish, right? Uh, but after a heartfelt apology, there were no major consequences, at least that I'm currently aware of. But that's not the case with the foolish exchange, right? I want us to see that, that this exchange is not only foolish, but it results in major consequences. I would dare to say this. The foolish exchange is at the heart of all humanity's problems. All of our problems. The fact that we don't glorify God, that we value other things more than God, that we do not acknowledge, we don't treasure, we don't honor our Creator. This is by far our greatest sin. This isn't just one of our sins. It's at the heart of every sin. This is why I believe Paul will write... Or he wrote, but 
coming forward. In Romans 3.23, why he connects our sin to God's glory. He writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sin causes us to come short, to fall short of the glory of God. When we sin, we are exchanging the glory of God. We exchange what God wants us to do, what, what brings Him glory, what honors Him for what we want to do. What we in our foolishness think will bring us pleasure and satisfaction. When we sin, we're saying, uh, in fact, we're proving that we value something else more than we value God and His glory. And following his description of the foolish exchange in verse 23 of chapter 1, Paul in verses 24 through 32 is going to describe the depths of man's sinful condition. In verses 24 through 27, he's going to write specifically about sexual sin. And in verses 29 to 31, he's going to list 21 other sins. And we need to understand, and we'll get to this again next week, that the foolish exchange that Paul speaks about in verse 23 is not just the first on a list of sins. The foolish exchange is the reason for the sins. If you look quickly at verse 24, following the foolish exchange, Paul writes, Therefore, foolish exchange, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Therefore, because of the foolish exchange, God gives them up. God lets them go. God allows them to go to the places that their futile thinking and darkened hearts lead. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this is the revelation of God's wrath. In His wrath against the foolish exchange, God gives us up. He gives us over to unrestrained sin. If you look around the world, if you listen to the news, if you read a paper, when you hear of crime and war and terrorism and murder and rape, sexual perversion, human trafficking, it is all a result of the foolish exchange. If you want an answer to the question, how can a God of love allow evil and suffering to exist? The answer is the foolish exchange. When we turn from God to images or to anything, He gives us over to ourselves. And the result is evil and suffering. Now that's next week. We're going to talk about that next week. But today the question is, why the heck do we do it? Why do we do it? Why make the exchange? Why are we so foolish? And to answer this question, we need, and by we, I'm speaking of, us, but I'm really speaking of humanity. I'm speaking we're prone to it, but we can be delivered from it, and we'll talk about that. But why does humanity, why do we do this foolishness? And to answer the question, we need again to review our seven steps. Remember, God reveals Himself. We see His revelation. We know there's a God. We don't respond properly to God. And we suppress the truth about God. And this results in, in, in the sixth, in the step, in the, in, the, in the seven steps. We are corrupted. And it's in our corrupt state that we make this foolish exchange. When we suppress the truth, step five, we experience first futile thinking. Something happens 
to our minds. Paul says, Romans 1.21, they became futile, uh, vain, useless in their thinking. God gave us minds with the capacity to reason and imagine and speculate and think and ponder and meditate. Why? Why? Isaiah 43.7, for His glory. We are created for His glory. To use them to know God and to think about God and to speak of God and to praise God and to figure out ways to honor and glorify God. But what happens when uh, the reason... The reason for our existence to glorify God, we've rejected it. That's not what we're going to do. We don't even believe in that anymore. When we reject the purpose for our existence to glorify God, what happens? Paul says our minds are corrupted. We become, Of course we're futile. We're not pursuing what we were created to do. In Romans 1.28, Paul writes, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Your mind was made by God and for God. And when you reject God, when you suppress the truth about God, your mind becomes useless. Your mind becomes debased. That word debased literally means worthless, rejected, reprobate, depraved. Bottom line, as one of our former founding elders used to say, Chuck White, you suffer from stinking thinking. When we do not use our minds for the glory of God, our mind is corrupted by worthless, depraved, stinking thinking. It doesn't matter if you're the most brilliant doctor or lawyer or scientist or artist or engineer. Everything you do with your mind without God is corrupted. It's futile, empty, vain, and worthless. And therefore, you naturally, you naturally, it's what you do, make the foolish exchange. You naturally replace God for an image that, that you've created. And it gets worse, because not only does your thinking become futile, but you develop a darkened heart. Verse 21, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why is the heart darkened when we suppress the truth about God? Answer, because God is the only source of light. God created all physical light when in Genesis 1-3 He said, He commanded, let there be light. And this is a picture of the fact that God is the only source of spiritual light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, God the Son, is the source of all spiritual light. He's the creator of all physical light. He's the source of all spiritual light. And if you suppress the truth about God, if you suppress the truth about Jesus Christ, if you reject God, then you, you will walk in darkness, your foolish heart will be darkened, and you'll again naturally make the foolish exchange. Groping around in the dark, becoming spiritually blind, you'll naturally exchange the glory of God for the things you can see, for the creation, and you'll naturally just make images of them and, and worship them for images, representations of His creation is all you have. And as a result of your futile thinking and your darkened heart, you not only make the foolish exchange, but you do it claiming wisdom. 
Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Why do people make the foolish exchange? Because with a corrupted mind and heart, they think and feel that what they are doing is in fact wise. Nothing seems more obvious and wise than designing your own God. The advantages are many. You know, it's kind of like down in, uh, what's that place called? Downtown Disney. You ever been down there? Okay, that's good. It's not that great. But anyway, they have a place where you can uh, build a bear, you know, where you get your little bear and you design it. Uh, We, one year, built a bear for Michael. Uh, Although, you can also build a dragon. That's what we did for Michael. We built him a dragon. You take your dragon and you put glasses on it, whatever you want. Hey, this is mine. I made this. I designed this. Uh, It shows when we design our own gods, it shows that we're resourceful. We're creative and we're intelligent. All of that clearly makes us feel good about ourselves. But, But best of all, making your own God makes you independent. Keeps you in control. You pull the strings. In other words, making your own God lets you be God. If you design your own God, then you become your God. And what could be wiser than choosing yourself to be God? This isn't new. Satan said to Eve in the garden, For God knows that when you eat of it, the the forbidden tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That was the first, be like God. That you can be your own God, knowing good and evil. So So when the woman saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That's the way it was from the beginning and the way it still is. If you want to suppress the truth about who God is, if you want to reject God and take the the leadership role in your own life, if you want to glorify yourself and not the one you were created to glorify, you will perceive this foolish exchange, idolatry, making your own God, becoming your own God, you will perceive it as the wisest thing in the world. So to summarize, why do people make the foolish exchange? Because when you suppress the truth about God, when you reject God, when you move away from your purpose for being existing, your thinking becomes futile. Your heart becomes darkened. And trading the glory of God for an image of your own making seems like the wisest thing that you could do. Now you might say, Well, pastor, who are you talking about? Who makes the foolish exchange? We could simply say, and I sort of said it, humanity. Humanity. We know that throughout human history, every people group that has ever existed has made this exchange in one way or another. People have turned from the immortal God and worshipped images, idols made by human hands. God certainly... Uh, knowing our propensity to, to make the foolish exchange, forbids it. The first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, we read, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. The foolish exchange, having other gods before the Lord, making a carved images, idols, has been a problem for a long time. If you were with us last year when we walked through the Bible looking at the history of redemption, 
One thing that stood out over and over was that humanity, including God's chosen people, was prone to idolatry. We're prone to reject the true God and worship other gods of our own making. To exchange the glory of God for images. Remember that even as the Ten Commandments were being handed down from God to Moses, the people were worshiping, crafting and worshiping a golden calf. And this was still the case in Paul's day. The people in his world exchanged the glory of God for... uh, Not infinite, but lots of images, statues, carvings, paintings of Greek and Roman gods who had the characteristics of men and women. Zeus, Apollo, Diana, the list goes on. They worshipped Greek and Roman gods that resembled mortal men. Resembled us in our uh, beauty and resembled us in our weaknesses. And they also worshipped birds and animals and creeping things. Roman soldiers, for example, worshipped the eagle as, for its strength and its courage. And we still see this kind of idolatry in our world today. People bowing down to images made by human hands. This picture here uh, is very common. Not the picture, but this act. Bowing down. This is in Thailand, but it's common in, in many countries in our world. People bowing down to a golden image. But what about us? What about our time? What about our country, our culture, our lives? We might say, well, we don't don't make this foolish exchange because you will not find me bowing down to images. You wouldn't find me bowing down to anything, let alone images of mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. But what we need to see is that when Paul's speaking of images resembling mortal man and birds and animals, he's not giving an exhaustive list. He's giving examples from history and from his current culture. Remember that the word images means a likeness or a representation. It's really anything that isn't God. This image. We make the foolish exchange when we choose to exchange God's glory. The worship of God proclaiming His infinite awesomeness for anything else in the world, for anything else in all of creation, worshiping, glorifying anything besides God Himself. In our culture, we exchange God's glory for uh, gods of our American world. We certainly have American idols. Idols of pride, materialism, success, selfishness, greed, gardening, golf. Sorry, Chuck. It just Gardening and golf kind of goes together. But, uh, you know, you have your own things. The things that divert you from the things of God. Shopping and sex and sports and entertainment and other mindless distractions. Gods of this world that we exchange for the glory of the one true God. Things and people and philosophies that we put before God. We sang the song this morning about it. Prone to wander, Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Even those of us who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, even those of us who who would say, I want to glorify God with my life, we still have this propensity, prone to wander, prone to leave even the God that I love. It's ridiculous. It's foolish. But we do it all the time. And we need to ask ourselves today, 
Now, what am I in the process of, what am I prone to exchange the glory of God for? Remember, that's why you're created. For God's glory. And how that works out in each of our lives is different, but at the heart of our lives is we were created to glorify God. So, so if you're not living... If you're not living for God's glory, if you're living for something, anything else, even good things, your job, your family, your achievements, these and other good things can become the images we exchange for the glory of God. If you're living for anything other than God's glory, then you have made the foolish exchange. Nothing, not sinful things or good things, can take priority over God and His glory. In each area of life, you need to ask the question, how am I living in this area of my life for the glory of God? How is God glorified by my job? Am I representing God well? Am I working as unto the Lord? Am I glorifying God in the place I work? Am I glorifying God in my family? Again, am, am I representing God? Am I, am I discipling my family? Am I, am I teaching the, my children that their purpose is to glorify God, or am I teaching them their purpose is to get good grades? How is God glorified by my achievements? Are the focus of my achievements first and foremost my glory, my honor, or for God's glory through me? These are hard questions, especially in a world that has made in a world that has made this foolish exchange over and over again. But if God is God, if He is eternally powerful, if He is the divine Creator, if He's created us for His pleasure and for His glory, then these are the right questions for us to be asking. Because if you value other things more than God and His glory, then you are quite literally a fool. I am quite literally a fool when I value other things more than God. We're foolish, exchanging the immortal, the imperishable, the incorruptible for the mortal, the perishable, the temporary. It, that's like trading a diamond. Uh, not, for, not, for a, not for something... Uh, not for, it's like trading a diamond for a, a Xerox copy of a dollar bill. Right? But there's another alternative. I want to leave you with some hope. Even if you in the past or even now are in the midst of of making this foolish exchange. There's a way back. There's a way out. And that is what I'm calling uh, make the wise exchange. It's the opposite. Paul talks about it. Philippians 3.8 Paul tells us how he does the opposite of the foolish exchange. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. In the foolish exchange, we give up uh, the glory of God for an image, a God made by human hands, or really anything that, that's not God. But in the wise exchange, we give up everything. Everything is counted as rubbish, as trash, that we might know and that we might gain Christ. And it's when we seek after Christ, God the, the Son, that God is most glorified in our lives. 
missionary and martyr, a guy who gave his very life. Jim Elliot worded the wise exchange this way. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can keep nothing in this life. Therefore, wisdom would say, exchange it. Exchange it for what you cannot lose. And the only thing we cannot lose is is the immortal God, Jesus Christ, living in our lives. So wisdom would say, exchange every mortal, corruptible thing in this world that you might gain Christ and thus glorify God. But know this, and I close with this encouraging word. If you give up the things of this world, really, if it becomes obvious that you're battling American idols, if you count them as loss, as rubbish, if you throw away your idols for the glory of God, then be assured that those around you, those in the world, those who are bowing down to the American idols, those who have made the fool exchange, will call you a fool. You will be the fool in their eyes for giving up all for Christ. But God will call you wise. God will call you beloved. God will call you righteous in Christ. And God will call you into His presence for for all eternity. Would Would you pray with me that we will be a people who forsake the foolish exchange Uh, putting anything in the place of God, putting anything before God in favor of the wise exchange, that we would forsake all things for God's glory, that we might gain Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank You for this warning. Thank You for telling us what happens, telling it like it is, Lord. Throughout history, humanity has made this foolish exchange, Father, but You have given us a different way. And I pray for each person here, I pray for myself, that You would give us the power and the strength to lay aside the images, the things, the philosophies of this world and to turn to You. To give our lives to You. To give our lives for Your purposes. To gain Christ that You might receive all glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.